to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, please. First Corinthians chapter 15. Let us pray. Father God, would you show us and reveal your heart to us today, that this hour that we are in as a church and what you've prepared for your bride to do. And Lord God, may we respond accordingly by the unction of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I want to share with you a message, he must reign. And for us to understand that he must reign, we need to look at the portion of Scripture that Paul declares concerning the resurrection. As we are in 1 Corinthians 15, we start at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. And so Paul is now going to give us the order by which resurrections will come. He says, first is Christ, the first fruits. Second, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then third in the order, then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, he, I'm sorry, he, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. And we conclude with this, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. Amen. It's not that he may, it's not that he can or that he shall, but in fact, he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. That is a declaration of an absolute. He must reign, and he will reign. And that's what the resurrection of Jesus Christ declared and set in motion. And we'll see in Scripture that there are a few other times where Jesus said he must. And it was essential that at his crucifixion, as he entered in Jerusalem, he told his disciples, he must die. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, it says this, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Why? He must go and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. He must be killed. And on the third day, he must be raised. These are essentials. And so we see that he must. It was essential in human history and God's redemptive plan. Jesus must die. Jesus must rise, as Paul says, because if he didn't, our preaching's in vain. And once he's risen, he therefore must reign. That is essential with it. These three things are essential. His death, his resurrection, and his ascension on high. He must reign. We don't elect him. 
We don't choose to follow Him today and not tomorrow. He is King forever, Lord of all. He will reign. He must reign at all times. Amen? Amen. So Paul gives us that understanding. And what's interesting is that the early church had a favorite verse that they used. It's used in every one of these books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, Hebrews, and 1 Peter. It is Psalm 110. Because they understood the authority of a resurrected king. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now that is a declaration to Jesus Christ who is of the order of the Melchizedek priesthood. No beginning, no end. He finished the Levitical priesthood. It was for a season and the transfer came at his baptism when John the Levite priest baptized him. The transference of the priesthood went from the Levitical to the Melchizedek and priest Jesus, King Jesus, mediator, took over from there and his rule and reign is forever. And so Psalm 110 is echoed throughout the entire New Testament because it is a triumphal song. It is a song that declares that Jesus must reign. And I think the church has forgotten this. I think we think we're on our own till he comes back. But he is ruling and reigning right now. He reigns now. And let me... Read to you Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20. You can turn there if you can get there quick enough. Ephesians 1, 20. And it says this, By His great might, God raised Him, Jesus, from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named. Now, I don't know how much higher you can get than that been given a name that's above every name in heaven and earth and below the earth amen so when you need to go to war in the heavenlies on the earth or below the earth you've got a name that has more authority than any other name in every dimension in every capacity and so listen to this he set him in heavenly places far above all rules all authorities all powers all dominion above every name that's named not only in this age but also the one to come come on i think that's everything he's got it all covered so when is he ruling now in this age not just the age to come we, we limp around and we, we moan and complain, oh Jesus, I can't wait till I can get to heaven one day. Everything will be so good. And we've got to walk in the full authority of who He is now and understand that Psalm 110 is that He shall rule until, until all His enemies are made His footstool. And look at, we're not done yet. He put all things under His feet. And he put all things under his feet. Is that now? Oh, okay. I'm just checking. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. You understand what that says? Gave him to the church. I don't think you get it yet. I don't know. 
First, he summarizes that he has all authority, power, and has the greatest name above heaven and earth and below the earth. He has all dominion, all authority in this age now and the age to come. And then God the Father gave him as the head to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So let me drive this home. If he has all authority and all power, and he is going to bring all his enemies under his feet, who's he going to do it through? Ah, you got it. Through us, the church. Somebody needs to get engaged in this effort. Someone needs to get involved in what God has planned. He gave him he gave him as head over all things to the church. He's the head over everything. He's the head of all authorities, powers, and dominions, and he gave that headship to the church, which is his body. Now, do anatomy here, people. If he's the head and we're the body, then the functioning of everything coming under his feet should come under the church. Am I reading something into this that isn't there? No, but we're not postured in this manner. We're apologetic. We're sorry if we make too much noise. We'll go into our little buildings on Sunday and be quiet. We'll relegate ourselves to weird and strange channels on the cable stations. Heaven forbid we have an opinion in the public square and someone get upset with us. What kind of rule and dominion is that? Now, our, our warfare is not with flesh and blood. It's not against other political groups or people. It's against powers and principalities in the heavenlies and below the earth. That's where our warfare is. Our love is is immeasurable to all those around us. And the way you defeat an enemy is to make them a friend. And so we draw in the lost and those who are wounded and those who are broken. And so we are in the midst of the reign of Jesus Christ and we are integrally involved. And so he breaks down the concept of resurrection powers. And he says that there are three resurrections. He said in our uh, text this morning, each in his own order. And when he describes the orders of harvest, he is giving us the feasts of Israel. There were three feasts in Israel that every Israelite male, needed to come back to Jerusalem to face God. Every Jew was to go back to Jerusalem for the three feasts, three times a year, to present themselves to the Lord. And so Paul is referencing that in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the harvests because each of these three feasts were harvest feasts. The first was the barley feast, which is the feast of Passover, unleavened bread. And that's the barley. The second feast of harvest 
is the harvest of wheat, which is the day of Pentecost. And they're to return to present themselves before God. And the last one is the Feast of Trumpets, which is the harvest of grapes. And so within the three feasts of Israel that were harvest feasts, each of them uniquely on Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles, they were to present themselves to God. And that's what Paul is saying the resurrections are. The first resurrection was the barley the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of First Fruits, and that is Jesus Christ, the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And when did it happen? Somebody guess? Somebody guess? Yes! Passover! Right? Jesus is the first fruits. He is the first one resurrected in, presenta- in presenting man to God face to face. And that's what took place on the day of the resurrection. And so there it is, the first, the grain offering, the winnowing offering. Jesus is the first man ever to be resurrected in a new resurrected body. He alone is a man in heaven. Now others say, no, no, there's other people that resurrected. I read it in Matthew, that the graves busted open and people walked around the streets. Wasn't that bizarre? Talk about zombie time. Isn't that cool? I don't think they looked like they're all, oh. I I think they look good. When Jesus does something, it looks good, you know. Personally, I do not believe that these people were resurrected in a new resurrected body. They were brought back to life like Lazarus. I think it was a limited number of people who had died within that month or a couple weeks that the power of resurrection just kind of like, like zapped and infused into the ground in that area and it brought people back to life, but I believe they died too because he alone is the first fruits of the resurrection. There's no one else there that has a resurrected body, the Bible tells us. So it was Christ alone. Then the other people, they just got to, you know, go again. <laughs> like Lazarus, like, dude, I saw you there. I know. That's that's the Passover resurrection that Paul is talking about, and that's the first resurrection. Then he says there's going to be another resurrection, but it is a wheat resurrection. It is the Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. Life came. And it's the celebration of the wheat harvest. And it was now the harvest unto the nations. Where... God is releasing His apostles, His disciples, and His church, born on the day of Pentecost, infused with the very person of the Holy Spirit, to go out and reap a harvest. Do you remember what Jesus said? The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in His harvest. We are now in the period of a harvest. And when Christ returns, that's when he will reap the next resurrection. When we, at at his return, will have glorified bodies, will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. That is his wheat field. It's open to whosoever will come. All people, all nations, drawing in the harvest. Christ the first fruits. You see, if there was a first fruits at Passover, we can be assured that there is the wheat harvest coming at Pentecost. 
And so the harvest was made, and the plea is out there. And when he returns, we'll see that harvest, that resurrection, the first resurrection of the righteous. But how many of you know there's one more resurrection? Resurrection of all before the great white throne judgment. And that is the tabernacle's rapture. Or not rapture, resurrection. And, and that tabernacle's is the second resurrection. We'll all will stand before God. And the grapes of wrath will be pressed in the wine press. And death and the grave will be completed. Amen? That's God's plan. And we're smack dab in the middle of it. And we're between resurrections. His resurrection of the first fruit, which assures us that our resurrection is on its way. But we've got a job to do, don't we? And the job is that we are with Christ, seated in heavenly places, making His enemies His footstool. Amen? Now, I want to use an illustration that just floored me. And I read Matthew 28 too. And it talks about the resurrection of Jesus. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and, get this, sat on it. Come on. <laughs> Who is that dude? I think he had an attitude. I think he was great. We don't know who he was. It was Fritz or someone. I don't know. But I imagine the other angels are going, what are you doing? He's sassy. It's one thing to roll the stone away. But then he just... He just sits on a stone. Do you understand what he's doing? Making the Lord's enemy his footstool. You see, what do you use a footstool for? Prop your feet up. We use footstools to elevate. You see, when you have an enemy and he becomes your footstool, you've just entered another level of glory. Amen? If I'm going to make this enemy my footstool, I've just risen to a new height. Amen. And we're going to make every enemy of Jesus his footstool. And this brings the church higher. Some of you have had enemies, and you're, you're, you're saying, oh God, how could you let this happen? And God said, I'm trying to give you an elevated view here. I'm trying to give you a promotion. Because some of us won't learn what we need to learn unless we bring that enemy under our feet. Amen? Amen. And so this angel, he, he, do you understand what that rock represented? That stone represented death and the grave. And he turned it into a lounge chair. That's what he's doing. I don't think he was told to do that. He said, wait till Mary and the others show up. All right. Fritz sat on the rock. Because it's an attitude. 
He's sitting on that thing. This used to be death. This used to be where everybody thought Jesus was dead. I don't think so. He's not here anymore. I'll just use it to sit on. It was sealed with the Roman government. Nobody can open the seal of the Roman government. I don't think so. He just collapsed the Roman government's authority over this tomb. He made that his footstool. He made the grave his footstool. He sat on that rock that kept anybody from entering and kept anybody from exiting. He said, I don't think so. That's my Jesus. That's my Lord. And he sat on that rock. How many of you are ready to sit on the resurrection rock? Amen? Amen. Roll those things away and begin to understand that he's made your enemy your footstool. I love this guy. And he sat on it. Now, look at what Hebrews says. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father. He is the saving arm, the right arm made bare for all to see. The saving saving arm of God. And he sat at the right hand. That means he is the saving arm of God. To sit down means your job is done, it's over, it's complete. So for the salvation of mankind that has been paid for, it has been atoned. Sin is forgiven, it is complete. He is now the high priest who sits on our behalf. And it says in Ephesians 2.6, and we, he has seated us with him in heavenly places. Now, I don't know if that angel was arrogant. I don't think so. I don't think that an angel would be arrogant. You don't want to do that. It's a wrong attitude. The closest that angel could sit on the throne of God was maybe to sit on that stone. Angels don't get to sit on the throne of God, but you do. You've been invited to sit on the throne of God. Come on, is that crazy or what? the body of Christ. And so how will we seat ourselves in this earth in the reign of Jesus Christ? Do we sit with arrogance? Do we sit and scoff others? Do we sit with humility? But do we also sit with authority, knowing what Christ has accomplished? There's no government that we have to fear. We do not have to fear death itself nor anything else. But as that angel sat on that stone, I'm thinking he's swaying his feet. (laughs) That's all he had to do to declare who Jesus is. Some of us have not sat in the seat of authority over our lives. Remember this verse said this, he must reign. Don't make the same mistake everybody else did expecting Messiah to take over political rule of Rome. He reigns over the whole earth, not just to give Israel its freedom. 
Don't make the same mistake to think that you're just waiting for him to get you out of here and get you out of this body and get this thing over with. He must reign in your heart. He must reign in our lives now. And so is there an enemy within my heart that must be brought under his authority? Is there an attitude in my posture that must bow? He must reign through and through in who I am. If the church is ever going to be in the right posture for Jesus Christ, if we're ever going to rule and reign his kingdom into this planet, he must first rule and reign in your heart. Is he making every enemy within you his footstool? Some of you might say, why, there's nothing in me that offends the Lord. I beg to differ. Because if you're like me, I know me, we got problems. There are things that are enemies to the Lord within my thinking, within my actions, within my attitude. If he's going to reign, he's got to begin here. If we're going to celebrate the resurrection, if we're going to celebrate his ascension, and that he must reign, the church must bow its head before King Jesus. Peter said, make him king in your heart, that you may give a reasonable answer to those who ask for the hope that is within you with all gentleness and kindness and meekness. But you first must make him king of your heart. People aren't going to come and ask you what you got if you got the wrong attitude. It's only when he's king of your heart and he rules and reigns over you that they'll begin asking, what is it about you? Because you're demonstrating him. They're seeing Jesus more than they are you. We're growing up to look like him. So we must die as he rises and he reigns. And so I put it to you, is he reigning over your thought life? Is he reigning over the actions of what you do and say? Is there an enemy within you that is bucking against, rebelling against the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because what he wants to do is magnify his goodness in you. He wants to make you look good. You know how he's going to make you look good? By you reflecting him. And so, may the church celebrate the resurrection by bowing its head, allowing him to reign in our thoughts and our attitudes. And he will come to our rescue. And he will reign in us. I close with this story. There was a man named Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit.
a man came into the city named Saul, caught Stephen, and under the authority of the priests, called for Stephen's stoning. The people came and threw their cloaks down and, and, and their tunics off and put them at Saul's feet. As they picked up the stones, they began to throw them and hurl them at Stephen. He began to get hit and beaten. And as he was being beaten, he looked up and he cried out in a loud voice, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Now we know Jesus sat down. But when we need him, he'll stand up for you. He will come to your rescue. And Stephen endured death, painful death, with Jesus standing up to receive him. That's when Stephen let Jesus reign over his life. When I say Jesus reigns over our life, I'm not talking about all the blessings and benefits you can get, a second car, a cottage up north, maybe you can get a bigger increase of finance. How stupid is all that stuff? What have we done with the gospel? But when Christ reigns, my enemy, death, is something I can stand on. I don't know how I'm going to die, but with Christ standing before me, reaching for me, who cares about how I die? Because death's become a footstool to all of us. And so whatever you're struggling with this morning, he is making it a footstool for you. He's reaching to you right now in mediation to minister his reign over your life. Let's bow our heads. Jesus, you said you would reign and you would put all your enemies under your feet. And you are doing this through your church. And Lord God, I put whatever enemy within me under your feet. God, take my attitudes, take my heart, take my thinking, take my confusion, take whatever is in me that is an enemy to faith and put it under your feet. May I see you reaching for me. May I see you calling to me. And may I recognize that you are Lord of lords and King of kings, that you reign. And may we all as a church sit on that stone to declare to the world, He is not here. He is risen. And He is risen in me. And so, Father, I pray right now for us as a people of God. Would you bow your heads humbly? Would you close your eyes? And would you pray this prayer with me, dear Lord Jesus? Make everything within me bow before your holiness. Reign in me as Lord and King. And put every enemy that's in me under your feet. 
and raise me, Jesus, to sit in heavenly places with you. And raise your church in this hour to subdue the enemies of the cross and to bring the love of Christ to a dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.